Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without creating division in community, and a place where we want you to learn how to think instead of tell you what you should think. My name is Matt Fisher. I am the creative director here at Hill City, where we record this and every episode of the podcast, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the co-hostess with the mostess, John Wagler. Wags, what's going on? Good. Hey, fun fact. Did you know, I learned today that, did you know you could fit everyone in the world in the state of Texas and each person gets a thousand square feet? Really? Why are you hogging all the land, Texas? Isn't that crazy? We knew they were hogging the land. Yeah, I was just reading something about the myth of overpopulation, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, that's not loaded it's just like a funny just a little drop that in there <laughs> so maybe we'll talk about that sometime it was interesting yeah i remember the first time i went to europe and i was just like so all these countries are smaller than north carolina and they're just like yeah kind of i was like oh weird okay what are we doing with all that land yeah we need places for billboards apparently. exactly um so yeah we are here in this next and final installment of our series on the intersection of faith and sexuality. It has been a real marathon. Uh, Feels of, good to solve it, though. I mean, I'm so glad that we figured it out, <laughs> that it's not still a total mystery that we have <laughs> only slightly more clarity on than when we started. Um, yeah, so we are going to just kind of recap on this episode. We're going to, I don't know, vent frustration is maybe a strong word, but we've been joking around that it's like the vent episode. We are going to uh, both clearly state w- what we've learned, but then also questions we still have. Yeah. Um, and we're just going to put it out there on, on the internet, and I'm sure somebody will have clear, concise <laughs> answers <laughs> that they can give to us. Not that we haven't spoken to authors and experts, and um, we have. Lit- I think we joked with David that like we've had we've had almost every author that we've read, like living author that we've read with the exception of like, yeah, <laughs> very yeah, few. Like a, a few, but like there's, and I think, you know, Lacey even said, uh, after the last episode with David Bennett, she goes, is your podcast like a thing? Like, is it actually like kind of a big <laughs> deal? Cause like you're getting like really great people to interview, which is true. Now we're, it's, yeah. well, we think it's a big deal. Well, but. we just have some email addresses. <laughs> that doesn't mean, <laughs> but, uh, no, but you know, I hope everyone does appreciate the people we've had on here because yeah. it really is top shelf um, folks, yeah. you know, that can interact with this topic and obviously more on the academic level with some of them, but um, but even like on the pastoral side and some of the conversations we've had and everything, it's it's really been, I mean, it's been awesome. Like the, yeah. the folks that we've been able to interview around this, like that's what, you know, between Preston and Karen and David, it's... It's essentially like name a top athlete or name a right. top singer or you know actor like those are the people we've had on this topic. Yeah. Know? And I wonder if it's not like that's maybe a, an indicator that this topic isn't talked about enough. Yeah. Like I feel like if we were giving this topic its credence as a as a culture um, then it would be harder for us, our little podcast, to like get <laughs> yeah. these guys on. You know, they should be booked all over. I but, know it's true. Um, you know, they're they're uh, fairly easy to get a hold of, and we're super super thankful for everyone being on. Um, so today, yeah, we're just gonna kind of like go through the rest. Like we're gonna we're gonna talk about questions we still have, things we may have learned, um, and just kind of wrap it up for everyone, um, so that we can move on to solving the next big problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's next yeah global uh, warming's next we we're gonna solve it um no i do think it's good though for us to you know after i think this is the eighth episode of this yeah i believe so y'all have over eight hours of content on sexuality which in the scheme of things doesn't seem like a lot but it it really is i mean the time we've taken and invested in trying to just create some larger conversation around this for us as a community I hope has been helpful. I mean, folks have told us that it has been, and it's been really cool to just hear different perspectives and experiences. And, but I do think it's also important for us to be able to just, since we've been in on all of it too, just be able to like, Hey, here's some things that maybe we didn't get answered or that we felt, um, was like great to learn or even still frustrated by. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to just 
little chit chat here. Yeah, for sure. And I want to encourage everyone. Like we've had so many great conversations with some very um, smart, well studied um, voices on this topic. Um, but I also, you know, as always, we want to encourage you guys to be self feeders. We want you like Google works, just use it, like go out and research for yourself some of these things, like um, some of the things that we have not gotten super into, but touched on with David and, and some of uh, our other guests are things like uh, queer theory or like the Stonewall riots, or there's like all of these things around this topic. Um, and, and just like, We've been talking about um, how does this apply to other sort of like faith and sexuality, like divorce has a sexuality element to it, right? Marriage, divorce, uh, Pauline theology on everything from friendship to love to marriage to uh, all women in ministry, like things like, I mean, the, yeah. the stuff plays all in. Right. It's interwoven in together for a larger context of a conversation. And some of them can be explained easier than others, but... There are, that's the beauty, honestly, it's part of the beauty of scripture is the dynamic that sometimes we want an easy answer to certain things, but sometimes the Bible is, it just says no to that yeah, <laughs> and wants us to feel that out very differently. And so, which is part of our humanity. Yeah. So we just want to encourage you all to just keep studying, keep reading. If this is something you're interested in, don't, um, don't settle, uh, just, just keep going, keep using the resources available to you. So without further ado, John, I would love to hear, um, I guess you can start however you want, but I, I would love to hear something that you feel like you've learned, um, but also, you know, questions that you still have. What are your big, coming out of all this, I know I've heard you say that you feel like you're just sort of in a no man's land sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, like you just can't fit, you don't fit in any side. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that sort of like for you and what are some of the reasons that you feel that way? Yeah, you know, I think through all the conversations and books and whatever that we've been going through and even having people sitting here, you know, with us and Preston's event and and all that stuff, there there have just been some things where, you know, I, I was hoping it's like it's like if we were doing like an acting class and we're like we got Morgan Freeman in here to help mm-hmm. us he would like solve things with acting for us. Right, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. So there were like some things with like with Preston and Karen and um, and even David, but there were there were some things you know like when we were talking with David off the air, mm-hmm. you know he we kind of were having like some big laughs of like him even saying like I know that's so hard, mm-hmm. you know Preston even saying uh, in our dinners where I was just asking him about hey well what about when you know David gets uh, was was supposedly from from God was supposed to get more wives like that doesn't fit into the creation narrative or or how does div- we've made an allowance for divorce because of Genesis three and all sin and and we freely make allowances for divorce but yet how maybe could same sex marriage be you know an allowance that's mm-hmm. put in there and um and you know even the First Corinthians seven passage about desire you know like there's uh, varying opinions on that from some of the best biblical scholars out there. And so there's just some things that I'm kind of like, man, even some of the, like the best minds and thinkers on this topic have questions. And mm-hmm. so even for me that part of that was comforting, uh, in the sense of, because I still have questions and do I theologically, do I feel like the Bible points in a certain direction or like that creation says man and woman and I do think creation says man and woman, you know, and and I think Jesus does reference that. So does Paul. And how does that fit into our narrative of what this looks like, you know, within our context and culture and all those things? I I do think it points to that, but I still have like a bunch of questions off of that, of what that looks like practically and how people are in process and what does it mean to, to learn and grow together? Like in, and we're all sinners mm-hmm. and we all have things and we all have, you know, like, so I don't know, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that to, for me wasn't solved per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was also like super challenged. Like when you, t- when you asked me about one thing I've learned, uh, I, I will say that the, in particular conversation with David Bennett, um, if you guys have not listened to that episode, I would just encourage you to do so. But that one in particular, the way he talked about, his faith in Jesus mm. was so inspiring. Um, uh, even outside of just the sexual conversation, like it was just so inspiring, but the way he then talked about um, 
celibacy and even sexuality in general and how that plays into our faith. And I just thought that was just, I had never heard it described the way he did. Mm -hmm. And it, that was like one way I was like, man, if we had a sexual ethic, like he's describing, this conversation would be so different. Mm -hmm. I mean, so different Mm -hmm. in so many ways that, and that probably leads to one of my frustrations as well is how often people will pop off (laughs) on this topic Mm -hmm. and the reality is they have no sexual ethic at all. Hmm. You you know, like they're, they're not, they're not trying to look for a strong sexual ethic. They're not trying to look for having sex, strong sexual integrity. They're not trying to um, be, they're not coming from a standpoint of saying like, I'm surrendering all that I am, including my sexuality to Jesus and Mm -hmm. following Jesus and, and everything else. And then they're trying to shape church policy. Right. Do you know, what I mean? so like that's like a frustration sometimes where some people would be like, um, well, how can you say this about, you know, gay folks or, or straight folks or, or whatever? And and you ask two questions about them and their own sexual ethic and you realize well, you, you don't you don't even have one. Mm. And so how are you trying to shape, yeah. <laughs> you know, policies or, yeah. or how we're or a church leadership team is supposed to mm-hmm. like engage this conversation so that that's been one of my frustrations too yeah it seems like the really big sticking point in all of this that i really thought going into it was going to be theological it became pastoral Mm. so it became like it's not about the it's okay i see both theologies i see them clearly i understand where each of them have holes in them so what like what okay so what do we do do now like you know what and for me it has really challenged me as I think about not just our church, but like the church and also church history. Like at what point is, was there ever a point in church history where the theology was the horse and the policy was the cart? You know, like at what point does theology become reactionary to cultural shifts, whether it's gay rights or abolition or women's rights um, because even, uh, you know, when it comes to women's rights, even stuff like egalitarianism, I don't think that, I mean, I'm sure it, the conversation existed before women's lib, but it certainly got supercharged after women's lib, and women's lib is not a church thing. Now, to say that it's not a church thing, that's kind of like saying yeah. that civil rights isn't a church thing. Like Martin Luther King was a pastor. Like, it's all sort of church things, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I've become very confused about which is the chicken and which is the egg and which one came first when it comes to like, do cultural things shift and then the church reacts or does the church read their Bible and, and, and say, Hey, we noticed this isn't right. And then shift the culture. And it's like, there's kind of not a clear answer. It seems to be a snake that eats its own tail a lot of the time. Yeah. Sometimes the culture is ahead of the church, right? You know, on certain things and maybe vice versa as well. But I, yeah, I think the only time to that, Matt, that we've seen, I want to say the only time, but when you look at early church history, like even in the book of Acts where they have like the big council and mm-hmm. there's all this, all this conversation about, uh, well, who, who's a Christian, who's not a Christian, who can lead, who cannot lead, who can do it, like all this other stuff. And they tried to break it down to the simplest, most simplest form when James ends up saying, hey, here's the deal. Um, it's about... Jesus be dying and being resurrected, mm. and then he, no sexual immorality, and uh, stop eating foods, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> certain foods. Like that was like basically, that was like he's like, let me put this down to the most simplest form, and and I think since that point, I, everyone keeps adding layers to all of it. Mm. You know, that's why we have what forty thousand denominations mm-hmm. and everything else, but. And if you peel it back all the way to the early church and you see what they did, he just, so sexual immorality was like a thing. The sexual sexuality conversation was a thing mm-hmm. and an important thing for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. how that plays into, for all of us, like our sexuality is a, I don't care if you're gay, straight, single, married, like it's all plays a huge role. And, and so that was like a part of the conversation. And then the, the food sacrifice to idols and that kind of stuff that was obviously huge cultural elements, right? Like it's kind of like the honoring of the other person's culture. Like if you're, if you're not supposed to eat meat for some certain reason, like don't go into their culture and just 
chow on a burger mm. you, you know like yeah. have some respect <laughs> like yeah. that was kind of like the model that they were using mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes that makes sense um i think also for me like David said something to the, it's funny because we had such a long, just so everybody knows, we had such a long conversation with uh, David after we stopped recording. <laughs> it was longer so than the one we had. I huh? literally can't remember what <laughs> went public and what wasn't. Um, so I'll, I'll tiptoe carefully. But um, one of the things that he said that I think did make it onto the show was this idea that like, you know, I don't want your law like God saying, you know, I don't want your obedience to the law is, I think literally the term he used was poop. Poop. <laughs> it's yeah. like poop to me. Yeah. Um, he had this very charming way of saying poop. <laughs> um, and, and like, I so track with that, whether it's the sexuality conversation or, or any other thing, but then I'm just like, well, then what, why are we, what is the point of having policies at all? <laughs> like what, if that's, <laughs> sure. you know, like what, why are we even, you know, why is any church even like, um, struggling with a policy on um gay people in leadership or divorced people in leadership or uh or or anything i mean anything at all like mm-hmm. conduct of any kind and it's yeah. like i i think that we should but now i'm sort of sent into this tailspin of like well if god wants our obedience because of him but not because of a law what does that mean for the lawmakers like what does that mean for sure. church leaders what does that mean for pastors and i feel like that's where things start to break down between the theological and the political, I mean, political in that policy, yeah. not, not like voted policy. That's but. a super interesting, like that was one of the things I was actually saying to Lacey. And, and let me just say this too, for both of us, I, you know, part of what we're doing on this podcast is incredibly vulnerable, right? Like we are, <laughs> yeah. it, because we are teasing out thoughts publicly sometimes and and so I hope everyone who listens to this like understands that part because we want, I think it's important for us to always have the culture of process mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, for all of us. And so yeah. um, some of the things that we say, I mean, we are like pretty settled on, but some of the other things we're just trying to like figure out and that's what this whole thing is. But what you just mentioned was one of the things that I talked about with Lacey. I was just like, and we did with David for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, if, again, if that was public <laughs> or not. But we talked about being creative mm-hmm. in ministry. And I did wonder if maybe our levels of saying in leadership mm-hmm. has gotten too watered down mm-hmm. or too simple. And that maybe some of the things like in leadership, like that even the idea of of like someone's like, well, if someone's uh, gay, can they sing on stage? You know, or... Um, or, and then you kind of get in these weird things or, or like if someone's not a Christian, can they sing or can mm-hmm. they, you know, like, well, if they can play the drums, yes. If they can, play, you know, it's like this right. kind of weird thing of like what's leading, what's not leading yeah. and everything else. And, and I do wonder if that's actually part of the problem as well, mm-hmm. that some of the things that we consider that are, uh, shaping like people's faith or whatever, or like it's contingent on the worship leader or the people singing, or it's contingent on the small group leader. Or, and we consider like these, like these roles as like ultimate leadership roles, Mm. but maybe they're not. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe they're not like maybe, um, when we sing together, maybe it shouldn't matter. Right. Like maybe it's just like people who are talented up there leading, who genuinely want clearly want to sing and, and want to praise Jesus. Mm -hmm. But maybe they're just a huge work in progress, whatever whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And maybe we shouldn't base things off that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the small group leader isn't like shouldn't be held to like but so much of a standard. Right. Like it should be just like, no, no, no I'm actually just like hosting a group and we just we're working through this together. I am not the be all end all to this mm-hmm. conversation. And 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 I get it. Like there are rebuttals to what I just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have them. Yeah. You know, and so but you are you raise like an interesting point of have we like muddied the waters of some of this stuff too much as well? Like yeah. my expectation for our staff is way different than a small group leader. Right. So and I'm not gonna apologize for that. Sure. You know what I mean? And so... Well, and we all agree. It's not like that sprung on us, you know, six months into our employment. You know, like we're very upfront yes, about that. You absolutely. Know. And so with that being said, I'm like, but should it stop there? Like, yeah. do you know, I, and I'm not even, I'm not, again, I'm not making a definitive statement. It's just processing things. But then 
And then even if even if we decided that there is also the reality that to change that in the church culture, mm-hmm. goodness gracious, <clears throat> yeah, like people would lose their minds. Yeah, yeah, and some of this is it should be acknowledged that like some of this is a very non-denominational problem, right? <laughs> yes. Like we have a very it's funny because I always talk about uh, my shrink is a Methodist minister also, and sometimes I'll be talking about some just processing this stuff with him, and he'd be like, man. That sounds rough. <laughs> he's just like, man, I that because he's very, uh, he's um, he's great, and and he would be the first to like vent frustration about church structure. But then when I started talking about this, he's just kind of like, yeah, I could see where like rigid structure all of a sudden becomes very comforting because <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, you're either a deacon or you ain't. You you're either a bishop or you're not. Right. You know? And like, yeah. and and then and and. And then it comes into more wide sweeping, like we either have gay bishops or we don't. Right. You know, and that's yeah. end of the conversation, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, ultimately still a very emotional and complicated conversation. But then, yeah, for us, because we don't have ecumenical, traditional ecumenical structure, it's like, who even is a leader? What is right. a leader? Yeah. What does a leader do? And some of those in the Methodist church that you're describing, like, for them, like, their their large net underneath mm. is massive. Right. And and they don't have as many questions. Mm-hmm. And they do like obviously there was a split you know recently with all that stuff like with the leader like the the bishop or the like the right. leader 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 like that's what they do for a living right kind of thing. And I don't know it's just interesting. It's very fascinating. I think for me a big I don't even know if it's a I mean I have a lot of frustrations with this. I think for me it's just constantly. And we talk, We did talk about this with David off mic um, about the living in a culture where um, church politics and the politics of the land are so tightly interwoven, yeah. which is not a challenge that they necessarily have in Canada or the UK or Australia. He, to your point, like he literally was when we said how different is it. And he was remember he like put his hands over his, his uh, yeah, eyes he, and like his hair. He's like. I can't even imagine, you know, yeah. like what y'all are going through. So Yeah, um and and I think that's tough because when we talk about just something as simple as like um the, the I mean some simple theology, it suddenly becomes about people's rights here in this I mean mm-hmm. in, in our country it becomes it becomes a conversation about whether or not we're just trying to figure out what Genesis 2 says and means. But it it is automatically becomes a conversation about who should have health insurance, <laughs> and that's an insane thing it's to have to insane, unravel. Insane. Um, and that's and that's you know that's super tough. And for me, and I mean, I I think this church in general is very social justice minded. But for me, I've constantly got that like justice, that need for justice, like screaming in the back of my head. And that scream doesn't really leave volume for some of these conversations. Like, if I'm honest, you know, it's just like everything, um, every, I don't know. There's just like no room in my head sometimes for a wider theological conversation because the political and social justice, like, part of my brain is just like always screaming into a megaphone. Yeah. Um, And that's, I mean, for me, that's been a big a big struggle. I think what I've learned is, you know, one of the things that I really learned through this process is, um, and, and actually it's something through this process. So my neighbors, um, are uh, a gay couple and I've been like chatting with them on and off about not necessarily this specifically, but just like life as a gay couple, they're getting ready to get married. And, um, one of the things I like was processing with them the other day was one of them works with teens, um, with, with um, mental health problems. And one of the things I've really learned from this is this idea that like the, when we talk about, and I'm very much one to have this kind of extreme like language, when we talk about like this hurts gay people, like this, this will kill gay teenagers. Like this theology is dangerous. This business practice is dangerous. When we talk about that, I still think that we need to be very careful, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So somebody could, like, whoever the new Dobson is, could take David's book, and David talked about this a little bit, like, could take David's book, pluck some stuff out of it, and just be like, well, look at this dude. This is why you need to be celibate or you're going to hell. And that can always happen, right? You can always take things out of context. Um, But 
talking to my neighbors and just like people, gay folks that I'm in relationship with, one of the things I've really learned is like really gay folks want to just have their personhood acknowledged. Yep. And I think going into this conversation, that was not enough for me. Yep. For me, my stance, and, and this is a day-to-day thing, so it's not like I've totally changed 360, but like for me, my stance was like, no, it's either everything or nothing. Like mm-hmm. take your second rate, you know, like adherence to this, that, or the other, and just like go home with it. Because for me, it's either all the rights and all of the theological change or none of it. And hearing gay people talk and tell me like, um, yeah, it bums me out to think that, you know, the church that I grew up in wouldn't marry me, but knowing that they acknowledge me and acknowledge my girlfriend or boyfriend as people and that we're welcome in the doors despite having this, this conflict doesn't make me suicidal. Right. So it's that difference between like, I get frustrated and like, sometimes I've, you know, gone to other churches or like, I would like to, but I think that starting this conversation, my head, in my head, I was like, no, if we are not aligned all the way down to the letter, kids will, like gay kids are going to kill themselves. Yeah. Talking more about it, I still think there's a huge danger for mental health for gay teens and, and gay adults in, in our culture. But I've re- and I've heard from gay people over and over again, like, no, we don't need to agree on everything. I just want you to acknowledge that I'm a person, that this is not my choice, that this is not a phase I'm going through, that this is not like a, a you know, whatever, a life, quote unquote, lifestyle. This is who I am. Mm. And then we can have a conversation. And I may not, I as a gay person may not like how the conversation goes, but I would rather, I can disagree with you without wanting to kill myself. Yeah. But if you strip away my personhood or if my mom or my dad or my pastor strips away my personhood then we don't agree and also i feel depressed or feel displaced so that's a big thing i learned um i think the one thing that i really wanted to talk to every one of our guests about but i just didn't have words for was back to the theological thing on you know we're trying not to be binary and like break everything into two sides but on the sort of like, and I'll, I've decided. I decided earlier today. I will use traditional and non-traditional. <laughs> so no go. affirming, non-affirming, <laughs> no progressive, conservative. Traditional marriage is a fair assessment sure. because that is traditionally how we viewed marriage. Non-traditional yeah. is this, yeah, fairly new view of marriage. So on the traditional side, uh, or I'm saying on the non-traditional side, we're hearing a lot of like, well, the Bible's talking about predatory relationships. They didn't understand sexuality the way that we did. Okay. And then on the traditional side, we're hearing them say to the non-traditional people, no, that's like kind of, it's in hubris that you would assume that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about or that Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Um, So they did. And then now, and then we get, Preston had a little thing about like showing art and and statues and stuff of Mm same-sex couples and that there were consensual non-predatory same-sex relationships. So it becomes this debate of like, were there or weren't there? Did Paul know or did Paul not know about these consensual, loving, same-sex relationships? My question is not, has sexuality changed? My question is, like, marriage has changed. Mm. The idea of marrying for love didn't exist until the late 18th century. <laughs> so yeah. it's like it's this thing that I'm frustrated about or can't get my head around is like, okay, let's say that that there were like loving consensual um gay re- gay mar- re- relationships or whatever um like living together and not just the sex part like you know living yeah. together having a garden having children whatever whatever let's say that existed in antiquity okay fine really when we get down to the the marriage thing like the functionality of the marriage thing it's not the sexuality that may have changed it's marriage that's changed yeah like when you take out um, stuff like dowry and and land and, um, you know, like we, there ain't nobody at our church who's real concerned with their like the legacy of their DNA. You know, like, <laughs> sure. I'm, you know, like we're not we're not disowning children yeah. who aren't our, you know, whatever. Yeah. When we get away from that view of marriage and we're in this very new, I mean, only a couple hundred years old idea that you like meet someone and you date and you fall in love, whatever that means. And there's romance and da, 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 da. 
my thing is like, well, I don't know. Maybe the tradi- maybe Preston's right. Maybe like there were exactly what I'm thinking of with my neighbors in antiquity. What there wasn't was our idea of marriage now. Yeah. It's so different. It's very different. And, you know, you, I would say this too. I, I think there is a completely, I, I've been having like, again, here's, here's a vulnerable point um, that I'm just wrestling with y'all. I've been struggling a little bit about the weddings I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and determining whether one is uh, religious or one civil. Mm. Because uh, for some people, they would say, well, it's civil if it's just like, hey, we're just going to go to the courthouse or we're just doing like a simple, we want to make this legal deal. And because there is a big difference between what would be a religious biblical marriage. Biblical marriage, some people think just because a man and woman got married that it's a biblical marriage. That's not a biblical marriage. Mm. A biblical marriage is one that is looking to beforehand, before the marriage, um, I would actually say not living together, not having sex, Mm -hmm. you know, um, have an intent to follow Christ like wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And that then when you get married, then a biblical marriage would be like to show that your ideal for your marriage is to show others what Christ's love is for mm. the church. And that's Ephesians 5. That that becomes a biblical marriage. Like that's your intent of why you're getting married. And I've been just like wondering when people ask me to marry them, if, if that should be part of my question to them and being like, hey, like uh, how would you answer these questions? And for them to say, well, that's not really us. We are sleeping together. We are living together. And I'm like, okay, like I'll still do your wedding, but this is going to be a civil marriage. Hmm. So you change the wording of Ch- ceremony. So like and it, stuff like it that. changes. Yeah. And then we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, mm-hmm. Well, you're not actually adhering to any of the biblical guidelines for marriage. Like, right. like you are having sex before marriage. You're living together. And somebody will say, well, it doesn't say anything about the Bible, about living together. And which would be correct. However, there's some wisdom that <laughs> like, mm-hmm. goes along with that. And, and I'm like, I'm not judging you. I want you to grow in your relationship with Christ. I, I'm not even saying you're not a Christian. Like, I'm not even saying that. It's just, what are we putting on marriage that actually isn't biblical? Mm-hmm. Like, even with our, take, take gay marriage out of the scenario. It's like, I even think what most Christians, how they interact with the concept of marriage actually is incorrect. Mm-hmm. So I I just think there's more to wrestle with there. Yeah. And I would say like, so if you hear that and, and it feels icky, um, (laughs) I would say I put a lot of thought into that too. Uh, I just performed my first wedding, um, mm. and it was great. And and they they, um, you know, went through counting here and everything, and they were amazing, and it was a great ceremony. But um, having done my first wedding and leading up to that, I was thinking a lot about that while we were having this conversation. And you know, Jenny and I did not. We were we always were like the bad kids, right? Like we were living together, sleeping together. We were like lying to our young life leader about mm. you know yeah. uh, what we were doing you know, the whole nine yards and 15 years later, 14 years later, we're, we're married. We have two kids, but you know, I talked on the preachers and sneakers episode. And about, your, sorry to interrupt you, but, and your marriage, you guys deeply care about following Jesus. Yes. <laughs> so like um, there's a lot has changed. Yeah. Lots has changed. Yeah. yeah. A lot. But, and, and we still have, you know, we still have tru- struggles like, yeah. like any married yeah, couple. So. And, and who knows, like we may say like, if somebody came to us for marriage counseling, we may be like, you know, I don't know if we're qualified <laughs> to give you marriage <laughs> advice. Uh, but uh, on the Preachers and Sneakers episode, um, I talked about the difference between God blessing a thing and God redeeming a thing. Mm-hmm. And so as I've thought through that, um, I think that there was a time when I would have heard what you said and just been like, well, you know, we didn't do all that stuff and we're good. But I think God redeems mm things yeah you know i don't i don't know i think that if we had gone to our pastor or or our you know the person who married us and been like and been honest with them first off um and they had been like no you're not really ready to get married like you need to do xyz Mm -hmm. and then we had either chosen to do that or not done that i you know our marriage would be different um and Mm -hmm. i can't i can't assume it would be worse uh you know i don't know if it would like have absolutely revolutionized our whole lives but I certainly can't say it would have been any worse, um, but I can look back, you know, on our marriage now and and what good you know partners we are and like what we've endeavored in in the last decade or so, and just I can just honestly say like yeah, God redeemed it, but yeah. I don't I don't think that God blessed us 
putting the cart before the horse. Sure. I keep using that analogy for some reason. <laughs> uh, I don't think God blessed us living together, sleeping together, lying to our, you know, lying yeah. to everybody about it. But I do think he redeemed it. But mm-hmm. we need to be super honest with ourselves about that in our own lives and in the lives of other people. Like, yeah. just because something works out doesn't necessarily mean, you know, for me, it all goes back to Jacob and Esau. Like, I just can't believe that the God that I believe in really wanted Jacob to, like, rob his blind father. Right. But I do believe the God that I believe in would redeem, redeem that action and use yeah. it. Um, Which I think is a totally valid point of view that, again, like, even me saying that, some people could be like, well, I can't believe you're just judging people that are mm-hmm. sleeping. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just saying that's not God's ideal. Right. And it's it doesn't even make sense that it would be the ideal. And it reminds me of um, John 8, where... People talk about how uh, they love the verse, um, you know, when Jesus talks and he goes, and the truth will set you free, right? Like Mm -hmm. everyone loves like that verse, but everyone always forgets the verse before that where he, Jesus is talking and he basically, I'm paraphrasing here, um, but he he basically is saying like, hey, if, if you want to discover the truth that will set you free, then you have to abide in my word. Mm -hmm. Meaning you have to, deeply follow my teachings. And that is the basis of your opinions, the basis of how you interact with people and life and, and everything. And like that, the word abiding, I mean, it's like all up in you, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and how you think about, so, so, um, you know, for you all, like when, before you got married, the word was not abiding in you, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so, but now it is, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's a, it's a difference that happened and to your point, like God redeems all of that and all that stuff. But, I think too often, even in this conversation around sexuality and would fall in line to one of my other frustrations is, as I'm like, I wonder how many people are actually abiding in the word of God. Like mm. you've got opinions on this, but are you really abiding in the word of God mm. to the level that, or, or, or are you just being like, no, I'm, a, I'm fo- I follow Jesus, but I don't abide in his word. Like right. I'm in process, I'm struggling. So like, I get it. Like, I'm not here to like make any proclamations, mm-hmm. you know, like, so I think, I don't know. There's just some some stuff with this idea of where the starting points are for things and even like the starting point of marriage in general, mm-hmm. like how we view all of that. I, there's just some room for conversation there. Well, and I think too, you can push back on this if you want, but my understanding of that, the concepts of salvation and freedom as they are presented by Jesus have always been um, separate in a way, meaning... There is, here is your salvation, meaning like here is your ticket to, you know, death being conquered. And that is to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and live like you believe it. When he talks about the, you know, abiding in God's word um, is the truth and that truth will set you free. He, he's talking, I guess the way I always interpreted that is freedom in this life. Like he's saying, if you want the best for your life, this is what you need to do. I don't, I guess I never really interpreted that as a salvation issue. Like the salvation issue is, do you believe I am who I said I am? You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm the way, the truth and the life and only through me will you, you know, receive eternal life. And I wonder if sometimes we get bound up in like the automatic response to anything like what we're talking about being, so you think I'm going to go to hell? It's like, that's not what I said. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying this is not what is you're not going to be the most free and the most happy and the most who god created you to be if you take this path right it doesn't mean that it's an automatic ticket to hell or death or however you believe that and i think that was a big thing for me reflecting back on my own life is there's just times where it's like the word very clearly says if you want to be free here's how you conduct yourself Mm -hmm. and i've said no (laughs) i will do what i want (laughs) sure and the reality of it is, in hindsight, looking back on it at 35, I it w- the word was right. I did what yeah, I wanted, absolutely. and I, I wasn't that happy. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a time where the word isn't right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and but it was it was less about like my eternal salvation and yeah. more about now, not then, not like sure. not later when all things are are reconciled, but right now, like what is gonna make your relationships better, your life better, your life more free. Um, And I think that's the thing that people get confused about is like, is this what's best for you right now? Like for you as you live your life, not 
is this you're going to hell or you're not going to hell. Yeah. I think that the reason why people do that, though, is because they want control and they want to do things on their own terms. Mm. And I think what you're describing is actually a massive hole in in Christianity right now, which is we still, uh, I you know, I said this uh, on Sunday where I, I just made the comment that we live in a way that we that we act like we approve Jesus mm. and we approve the words of Jesus and that we want to do what we want to do. And we don't have that fear and reverence like we should. Mm-hmm. And I use fear as like a respect, not like mm-hmm. just living in fear, but like the we don't have this respect and honor and uh, of the authority of Jesus in the midst of all this stuff. And so some things I agree with you are not a salvation issue. Like in terms of, no, we're not saying it's like you're not, you're not like a Christian or you're not a follower of Jesus. It, it, sometimes people don't know the difference between salvation and maturity. Right. You, you know what I mean? And like the process of everything. I will, however, say that sometimes... Um, this is like when Paul says it in Philippians, he says, hey, we should work out our faith with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. There should be like this, hey, I want to consistently work this out, you know, and make sure. But, you know, uh, sometimes I do think there can be evidence that you are actually serving, you're, you are searching for cheap grace and you aren't actually a, a believer. Mm. Like you're you're trying to like have this cop out of uh, I like Jesus or the idea, but I'm not really following him. And so don't judge me, mm-hmm. you know, where where it is possible that for some people it's like, well, the reason why you don't follow what Jesus wants to teach or anything is because you actually don't believe in him. Mm-hmm. Like you do, you know him, but you don't know him, know him, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, that's the delicate part of the conversation because, you know, in 15 years of ministry and, uh, Lord knows how many conversations of people and in particular the last five, you know, in our church, there are some times where I've sat there and been like, I'm not so sure you're, you actually are a follower of Jesus. Mm. You attend and it's a habit and you know some scripture, but you don't actually desire to follow. I would never judge somebody on that clearly, mm-hmm. but I do think sometimes you do have to wonder and then other times I feel like, ah, it's just a maturity issue. Like, I get it. Like, you do want to genuinely follow, but this is just a maturity thing. And you need, you need to truly back off a little bit and understand yeah. you got to we you got to grow up. That's everyone's process, right. you know? And so... Yeah, I think maturity is a good word there. Like, the immature, if you think of a, of a person or a child, you know, the immature person, all they want to know is, do I get the candy at the end? Yep. You know, like, yeah. okay, so I'm good. Well, yeah, but like, yeah. okay, I'm so I can good. do what I want. Yeah, exactly. Just forgiveness, it's right? Like, well, yeah, yeah, you can be okay. So, you got the you got the 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 carrot at the end of the stick. Are you? Just, but are you just going to choose to be miserable for all of your physical <laughs> life, or yeah. like you know, be broken and lost and whatever? Yeah. Just just because you know you're going to get the reward at the end. Like, I I just think that there's often a delineation between salvation, like essential issues of salvation, yeah, and God, God, and 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 Christ through the gospel, just saying, like, look, I'm just telling you what it is. Like, you know, like yeah. if you want to be happy and productive and live your life to the fullest, like, here's how you do that. Yeah. And if you choose not to, then, but you still, you know, for however the mechanics of salvation work, and but you're still saved. Well, you're gonna get to heaven and look back on your physical life and be like, dang. <laughs> I really messed I that up. I really yeah, screwed I that up. Yeah. You know, and you're going to well, regret it. You're also describing the fact like neither one of us will ever know someone's true heart. Right. Right. Like, but we, people as individuals know what really is going on in their head and heart, mm-hmm. you know? And so they, so if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out this out for your own, where you're at, like you can determine whether or not you actually care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can determine whether or not, you know, some of these decisions that you're making, you're trying to funnel it through what Jesus taught. Mm-hmm. You can determine how much of a fraud you are or not, mm-hmm. you know, with some of this stuff. And and so I do think that that is part of what we're describing between like how we think about marriage and how we think about Christianity. We, we are describing massive like problems in Christianity, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I mean, if we were a persecuted church starting tomorrow, mm-hmm. where like your life was on the line, if determined, do you believe in Jesus? And you had someone standing there, like if you say yes, you die. Mm-hmm. The amount of people who would, say, well, I don't, I'm not sure right now. Right. It's pretty big. Right. 
and I'm not saying it's the majority or anything like that, but there's a lot of people yeah. like in that camp. So, yeah. And it's funny going back to, you, you know, we can't ever really know what's in someone's heart, right? Only God knows that. And for me, that's where this area just stays so gray. Like to think that like I talking to David, I have no doubt in his mind that if he were to, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind after talking to him and what he's been through and where he's where he's at, if he were to wake up tomorrow and think that he fell in love with a guy and they got married, he would be miserable. I mean, I, I think that he miserable. just wouldn't be able yeah, to do yeah. it. He would be miserable because he was not being true to his, his revelation, right? To the revelation that, that... And then in the same way, though, I listen to Karen and I'm just like, you went took a long road to this. And it's just yeah. like... Uh, and, and she would say the exact opposite thing. She She would say... If I were to wake up tomorrow and decide, no, I'm back on whatever side it is, celibacy, you know, sure. I'm back yeah, on yeah. celibacy, uh, you, would she be able to sleep at night? And that's like the where everything stays so gray is it's just like we don't know the contents of someone's heart. And it's so hard to determine one way or the other. Yeah. Like to tell one, yeah, I think your revelation is right. And to tell the other one, like, no, your revelation is object somehow objectively wrong. Yep. So here's where I would... So how I viewed that, let's just use those two examples. Um, and, and this part of this is just anecdotal, just in terms of like years of, of ministry too. I do think you see something different in people by what they're concentrating on and what they're like, where their mind seems to go. And everything. so for instance, if you notice in the conversation with David, he was, I mean, he's doing his doctoral studies on this idea of new creation, like mm. part of that. And that extreme focus about new creation and giving it all up for God and how could I never surrender all that I am to God and how um, even not just that language, but even um, thinking about just through sexuality and just through like it's an entire engulfing process, like his focus on that. And that's not new. Mm. Like that's been years for him that that is what is consuming him. And there's that piece that's there about for that, you know, that part of revelation, whatever. And then Karen clearly loves Jesus and clearly has got her own thing going on. Um, I One thing that's like interesting, not that she wouldn't, that mm-hmm. wasn't part of our conversation, but that wasn't what naturally came out. Mm-hmm. Like it was more on the academic side, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that is not a slight. I, I don't want anyone to misconstrue that. That's not a slight whatsoever. Um, but... I think sometimes when you think about, like when I listen to that conversation with David and the way he talked about sexuality, celibacy, future kingdom, Mm -hmm. like I loved when he described, I'm modeling what heaven's going to be like. A married couple is not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I was like, I mean, that's a pretty, like he's spot on with that, you know? And there, I, to me in the conversation, and I viewed kind of where David is like, kind of like as the ideal, Mm -hmm. like just, and, but then I, but, that doesn't mean like someone else isn't a Christian or someone else. That actually is part of the frustration with me in this process about policy and about how people view Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it. There are Christians out there that will say, if you're gay, you can't be a Christian. Hmm. That is not me. That is not our church. That is not, you know, I fully believe you can have same sex attraction and be a committed follower of Jesus. So I, I, I don't even like the phrasing. Like sometimes I see people posting on that. Like they said, I can't be gay and a Christian. Like mm-hmm. all churches are this. I'm like, all churches are not that. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, that is like a frustration in the conversation. But I think like an understanding of the process and even policies with this, like some people, I think David put it this way. I think he said something to the effect of like, hey, like there is progressive revelation to people. Mm. And sometimes they might die. You and I are going to die before we have all the revelation we need. Right. Right. Everyone's going to, everyone's going to. Mm -hmm. And so like the process for people and whatever they need that in is a process. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's slow. Some, and I think this whole idea about who's saved and who isn't trying to make, I hate that conversation because Mm -hmm. one, we don't know, but two, man, there are people that are faithfully trying to follow Jesus, but their process gay or straight is just long and slow and some stuff takes a long, long time. I'm in some conversations with people right now that have been years. 
like literally years mm. of, and I, you know, and some of it's not that big of a deal, <laughs> but it's been years, but they're faithfully trying to work through some things. And sometimes it just takes time. And that's, and that's part of, but they're, they're faithfully following Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? So that's why sometimes with like this policy stuff, I'm like, and there's, I don't even know that there's a way to do this, honestly, but it's like, man, if we could just somehow like have an assessment that told us this person's faithfully following Jesus with their whole heart, it's just, it's just going to take some time, whatever that is, we can be like, okay, that helps, that helps so much. And now we can't do that, obviously, mm-hmm. but but some of this, I think we, like, we just kind of jump so quickly to certain assumptions about people, gay or straight, yeah. and it's frustrating. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is, um, it's just so tied into our culture. You know, this conversation, totally. this conversation is such a different conversation. I can't overemphasize another thing that I learned during this process is how different this conversation is in other cultures in other countries um where the churches like the the ebb and flow of church life doesn't so directly affect the ebb and flow of government policy Mm -hmm. um and it's just like i think my fear though is that it's impossible to to like extricate one from the other like that they just we we just have to we gotta balance the two um because there's no it's like uh, they're like conjoined twins. Like one yeah. might die if we try to <laughs> to separate yeah. them. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, it's the the theology of it. You know, I, I think that what we've come to and correct me if I'm wrong. There are a couple of different theologies. There are a couple of different arguments. None of them are airtight. I think the wisest thing that I heard through this whole process was David saying, "Oh yeah, it's a mystery." <laughs> I was just like our sexuality is a mystery. Our sexuality yeah. is a mystery. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. There's a piece of that, and his point was, there's gonna always be something there that leaves you wondering right. why. And 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 I think even our conversation with him around this, and we've talked about this part before, but you cannot get away. I don't care what anybody says. You you can't get away from the fact that Jesus was conservative in his theology, mm-hmm. but he was over the top liberal in his pastoral love for other people and that's what angered the conservative so much mm-hmm. and vice versa you know when he, he began talking about truth in, mm-hmm. in certain ways he appreciated process and everything with people we see that all the time and then i so i would I, you know i would like have a challenge for if you are on the traditional side and and maybe pretty staunch or even staunch staunch um traditionalist on this topic i would challenge you to really uh, either a really get to know gay folks mm-hmm. and be a part of their lives, invite them into your home and be in relationship with them. Um, I would challenge you to start reading some other perspectives and listen to experiences and grow in that way um, from faithful people like following Jesus, mm-hmm. just like you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I would consider or challenge them to to really take a step back and have an honest self assessment about where their bias comes into play. You know, and um, and so I think that's like a big thing if you're kind of more on the um, kind of traditional conservative side theologically around this, because I also think um, a downside to folks on, on that side, and of course, I would put myself on the traditional side, mm-hmm. but like the the downside to folks there would be um, not willing to engage in conversation, mm-hmm. you know, like this, it's this way or no, you know, and. And um, we hear that and see that a lot. And so I would just be like really challenging there. On the other side, I do think that there's some challenges there too. Like um, one thing that I've noticed now, I would not put you as, you know, more progressive person in this camp, but quite frequently, um, I don't see a difference between a progressive Christian and a progressive non-Christian how they think about life, how they think about sexuality, how they think about voting, how they think about like anything. Like I don't see any difference. And, and that should be alarming. Mm. Like even if you're on, like if you're like, I'm not on the traditional side of this theologically, but there should still be like a huge separation between you as a believer and someone else who's not there. Like there should be in the way you live your life. There should be in a way that you think about concepts and people and everything and there should be no matter what you feel about same-sex marriage 
we are all are in agreement about sexual ethic and sexual integrity as a whole. Like that should be the starting point. Like we should all be, Hey, if you're a young kid growing up and you're trying to figure out your sexuality, you're 14 and you're discovering your same sex attracted. I don't care if someone's talking to them from a traditional or non-traditional point of view. The response to that child is, we're with you. We love you. We value you. This is your community. We are going to love you like crazy. Um, but you you need to be celibate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you need to, like, there's, like, and so, like, there's there's the strong sexual ethic that should be there for all of us prior to marriage and all of that stuff. And so I think that has to be there, even if you consider yourself on the non-traditional side of this conversation, because if that's not there, then that is not a biblical stance. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think there's some things there. I think also if you're on the non-traditional side and kind of, um, or even maybe if you're just like, I'm a liberal on this stuff, you know, like I think you, you also have to like realize some of the ways that some of the things that are happening sexually (laughs) in our world right now, like we've had this discussion plenty of times, but you know, like folks right now are um, claiming scientific reasonings for polyamory and polygamy. You know, uh, there was a Ted talk about, uh, recently, I think it was last, might've been like last October, a Ted talk about, um, how pedophilia is, is a a sexual orientation Mm. that should just be recognized and accepted, Mm. you know? And, um, and so there's things that are moving in really a horrific, like direction, Mm. um, that's moving off of like biblical you know, faithful, like Christians trying to follow Jesus. What's the discussion there? So I would just say if you're on the non-traditional side, um, I would be super concerned if there is not a separation between you and like non-Christians, you know, I would be super concerned about that. Like I would be, if you're not really concerned about the conversation about polygamy and polyamory and pedophilia and some of these sex with robots and <laughs> some of these yeah. other things that are, are like where we're moving towards on a lot of this stuff. I, that would be like super concerning for me. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think so for me as the non-traditional sort of perspective on this and what I've learned. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I would say that for um, folks who, so my non-traditional view as I've sort of poked and prodded at it and, and turned it over and examined it, um, is really driven by um, the seeking of justice and inclusion that I learned from the Bible. That's what I kind of figured out. But I also figured this out. Like I said earlier, the political voice is that is very loud and sometimes sure. so loud that I can't allow other voices in. Yeah. Um, and so I would say for, you know, my challenge for non-traditional folks would be make sure that the tail is not wagging the dog. Sometimes it's not about why. It, sometimes it's not about do you believe in, um, like, a, 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 a thing that I say that I mean, but it's, like, my favorite, uh, like, go-to ultra-liberal thing to say is always, like, um, borders are just state-sponsored lies. <laughs> because that just sounds like a very, like, but but I believe that. And, like, why do I believe that? Is it because... You know, I've always joked about like, is it because Rage Against the Machine told me to to believe that, or because Noam Chomsky wrote it somewhere, or is it because of something that I read in in the Bible? And you have to figure that out because yeah. you and another person can both believe in gay marriage, but if one if you if one of them just believes it because people should be allowed to do whatever they want, but you believe it because because you believe in equality and inclusion because Christ you know, like if you have a biblical, the, the why is just as important as the what. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some people sort of reject that, but Jesus is very clear about like what's in your heart is just as important as what comes yeah. out of your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth is the overflow of what's in your heart. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree. Like be, if you're on non, if you're non-traditional on this, make sure that the, um, yeah, make sure that the culture isn't, leading your theology but that your theology is leading your cultural stance yeah it's like when i've talked to non-traditional folks and brought up celibacy and they're like oh that's just like outdated and that's this and that's that and i'm like as a christian you literally can't say that Mm. i mean a jesus was 
clearly celibate, um, B, so were several other like big time leaders and, um, of the faith and C to, to put sexuality at such a high level, um, to, to say something like you could never, that, that, um, that celibacy is unattainable. Um, because we're just a, you know, a victim of our desires or a victim of, uh, we're just, we just had to submit to how we feel and all that other stuff that like that goes against so much of what Jesus taught. You know, I'm not saying it's not hard or any of those things. So like, don't, I don't want anyone to miss mistake what I'm saying, but like, if, if you come from the non-traditional point of view, you still have to acknowledge that celibacy is a very valid way to live a life and that people can flourish in, in celibacy and, that is a reality. And I also think that there's a, sometimes we have to really be careful about when we talk about choices. Mm. Um, because sometimes I think we can mistake choices we want to make and we feel we have a right to versus the choice of where God's saying, do you want to follow me or not? Mm-hmm. That's your choice. And sometimes like we, we want to go to the sub level of, of like, no, 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 I'm trying to, cho- I'm not talking about that, Jesus. I'm talking about these two things. Can I choose one of these two things? And he's like, that's not even the choice that I'm giving you. I'm just saying, do you want to follow me or not? It's two different things sometimes, even with choices. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, and I think also, this is, you know, something that we all need to keep in mind is that this is a very emotional conversation. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're talking about, this, this is, we're not talking about foreign policy, which yeah. it should be mentioned that our foreign policy very emotionally impacts lots of people on the planet. But I'm saying like you're sitting at dinner with mom and dad or whatever, and you're talking about economics or foreign policy. It's not quite as emotional as sexuality because literally the core of sexuality is our emotions, yeah. our capacity to love one another, or be attracted to one another or whatever. And so because it's so not a scientific mathematic conversation, Remember when you're having these conversations that you have to practice active listening. Yeah. So you have to ask yourself. So if you do, if you're a traditional person and you say, um, uh, you know, start talking about celibacy or yeah. want, want to talk about celibacy with a non-traditional person and they have a visceral reaction, stop and ask yourself. They seem very emotional about this. Like I wonder why. Um, and practice active listening. Say so when I say celibate, celibacy. What does that mean to mm-hmm. you? Because like to you and I right now, having come fresh off of our interview and, and like reading of David of David's book, yeah. it's this beautiful, freeing, yeah. you know, for us, that, sure. that word association is different than for somebody else who might be thinking like, oh, celibacy is the thing that they enacted on, um, Agreed, yeah. on priests that then led, you know, to all sure. of the uh, insane things that are happening now. Yeah. So make sure when you use language around this topic that you're both talking about the same thing because what you can end up doing, and this is true with anything, politics or whatever, but you can end up having an argument or having a disagreement around a word that you think you both understand the same way, but is actually very different. Um, Yeah, that's really good. A great example I've always heard about this sort of like active listening and using, making sure you understand one another before you start the conversation is like, um, uh, so like the swastika when it's pointing the other way was a native American symbol for peace. Hmm. If I put that on a shirt and start walking around <laughs> yeah. and then after I get beat up, hope, you know, so hopefully somebody right. at least says something to me, but possibly, you know, kicks the crap out of me. <laughs> and then I'm just like, Oh, but you don't even know what it really means in the history. It's like, yeah. come on, man, read the room, have some wisdom, have yeah. some wisdom. <laughs> like it's not, it's not like you got to make sure that the thing you're putting out there, the word you're putting out there, the context you're putting out there means the same thing to you as it does to the other person before you can have a constructive conversation. Um, because if you don't, but, I mean, even things as simple as like our church is this to somebody who's not part of our church. Oh yeah. they yeah. they could automatically be like, Oh my gosh, you guys are going to be like marching in the streets to make sure that again, I can't get health insurance with my partner or I can't yep. have a mortgage with them or I can't adopt a kid. Yeah. Um, and that's not what you meant, but that's what they hear. Yeah, so like totally. what you mean versus what other people hear is especially in this very emotional, this conversation that seems to be at the intersection of policy, religion, emotion, the- theology, biology, like this thing is like the crossroads of every mm-hmm. thing uh, right now. Yeah. Make sure everybody understands what we're all talking about before you get into a heated argument with somebody about something that 
you <laughs> you both yeah. had different meanings for celibacy, or you've had different meanings for sexuality, or or different meanings for things. Yeah, you know, even uh, the idea when we were talking to David off air. Yeah, you know, he he goes, oh, I forgot to mention this, which was like funny, but like he said, you know, what people don't realize is that even though I am where I am theologically, he's also like a gay rights activist still. Right. You know, like he passionately wants to see them have like the same rights, everything. So, so there is, so I think people need to be careful sometimes, even if someone does say that they're a traditionalist in their theology, it does not mean hmm. like something else, civil rights, right? Like it doesn't mean right. something else. And I would also say this for some people that are traditionalists. If you're going to utter the word celibacy, you really better pump the brakes for a second because one, uh, you better be the most gracious, kind, loving person to those folks and be willing to be like, you can literally live in my home mm-hmm. and be a part of my family and have that kind of heart. Um, because if you're not, then just back off the conversation in in its entirety because you're you're not coming from a loving space. You're coming from a law space. Mm-hmm. And I would say this too, if you're coming from a tr- traditionalist point of view and you want to say the word celibacy, and this is why I say you better pump the brakes. You really better think hard, in particular if you're married, mm. to really think for a second and say, wait, what if, like, it's like me, like, I have, every time I've ever mentioned the word, I've had to spend, I never even, like, really talked about celibacy a lot, mm-hmm. till I was willing to spend some time and thinking about what if I didn't have Lacey. Mm. And um, that would be so unbelievably hard. I it's hard for me to fathom in my life right now, you know, and with our kids and our family, it's hard for me to fathom that. So I even, even me uttering the word celibacy, I almost hate to say it, but I I feel like I have to just because of how I feel like the Bible kind of talks about stuff. But like, I hate to say it because I I also want to be uber sensitive to the fact that like, I understand, well, I don't understand, but I, I can embrace the emotion of like, I can't imagine my life without Lacey. Mm. And so if I weren't going to be able to have Lacey for the rest of my life, then I sure as heck better have some people around me that allow me to flourish, that allow me to feel known and loved. I better be an uncle or an aunt to like 15 other kids and godparents and, you know, like all the things to make sure that like it's proven that someone choosing celibacy is not only valid, but they can thrive. Mm. And so if you're not willing to be a part of that story and you're not willing to have that kind of heart towards people, then I would say this, that you're more a Pharisee than you are a loving follower of Jesus. Very good. Well, I think uh, we've, we've run a little long, but we had a lot to say and I think that's a great place to end it. So Thanks everyone for joining us on this roller coaster of a series. Um, if you have questions, comments, concerns, um, or suggestions, just shoot them over uh, to our email, which is staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Um, we would love it if you would just take a second to um, review and rate the podcast. Um, just uh, you don't always have to write a full review. If you just want to punch in a couple of stars on your on your podcast catcher, that would five be stars. great. Five, I mean, five stars. No, you can't say that. <laughs> you, you can put whatever stars you want. Um, that would be great, and uh, it helps other people to get in on the conversation. Thanks again to everyone. Thanks to all of our guests on this series, and we will see you all next time.